0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. This reading by Anne-Marie Williams. April 25, 2006. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Chapter 1. There was no possibility of taking a walk that day, we had been wandering, indeed, in the leafless shrubbery an hour in the morning. But, since dinner, Mrs. Reed, when there was no company, dined early, the cold winter wind had brought with it clouds so sombre, and a rain so penetrating, that further out-of-door exercise was now out of the question. I was glad of it. I never liked long walks, especially on chilly afternoons. Dreadful to me was the coming home in the raw twilight, with nipped fingers and toes, and a heart saddened by the chidings of Bessie the nurse, and humbled by the consciousness of my physical infirmity to Eliza, John, and Georgina Reed. The said Eliza, John, and Georgina were now clustered round their mama in the drawing-room. She lay reclined on a sofa by the fireside, and with her darlings about her, for the time neither quarrelling nor crying, looked perfectly happy. Me, she had dispensed from joining the group, saying, She regretted to be under the necessity of keeping me at a distance, but that until she heard from Bessie, and could discover by her own observation, that I was endeavouring in good earnest to acquire a more sociable and childlike disposition, a more attractive and sprightly manner, something lighter, franker, more natural, as it were, she must exclude me from the privileges intended for happy, contented little children. "'What does Bessie say I have done?' i asked jane i don't like cavilers or questioners besides there is something truly forbidding in a child taking up her elders in that manner be seated somewhere and until you can speak pleasantly remain silent a breakfast-room adjoined the drawing-room i slipped in there it contained a bookcase i soon possessed myself of a volume taking care that it should be one stored with pictures I mounted into the window-seat, gathering up my feet, I sat cross-legged, like a Turk, and, having drawn the red mooring curtain nearly close, I was shrined in double retirement. Folds of scarlet drapery shut in my view to the right hand. To the left were the clear panes of glass, protecting but not separating from the dreary November day. At intervals, while turning over the leaves of my book, I studied the aspect of that winter afternoon— Afar it offered a pale blank of mist and cloud, near a scene of wet lawn and storm-beat shrub, with ceaseless rain sweeping away wildly before a long lamentable blast. I returned to my book, Beekwit's History of Birds. The letter-press thereof I cared little for, speaking generally, and yet there were certain introductory pages that, child as I was, could not pass quite as blank. There were those which, treat of the haunts of sea-fowl, of solitary rocks and promontories, by them only inhabited, of the coast of Norway, studded with isles from its southern extremity, the lindnes or Nays to the North Cape, where the northern ocean in vast whirls boils around the naked, melancholy isles of farless Thurl, and the Atlantic Surge pours in among the stormy Hebrides nor can I pass unnoticed the suggestion of the bleak shores of Lapland, Siberia, Spritzbergen, Nova Zembla, Iceland, Greenland, with the vast sweep of the Arctic zone and those forlorn regions of dreary space. That reservoir of frost and snow, where firm fields of ice, the accumulation of centuries of winter, glazed in alpine heights above, surround the pole and concentrate the multiple rigours of extreme cold. Of these death-like realms I formed an idea of my own, SHADOWY, LIKE ALL THE HALF-COMPREHENDED NOTIONS THAT FLOAT DIM THROUGH THE CHILDREN'S BRAINS, BUT STRANGELY IMPRESSIVE. THE WORDS IN THESE INTRODUCTORY PAGES CONNECTED THEMSELVES WITH SUCCEEDING vignettes AND GAVE SIGNIFICANCE TO THE ROCK STANDING UP ALONE IN THE SEA OF BILLOW AND SPRAY, TO THE BROKEN BOAT STRANDED ON THE DESOLATE COAST, TO THE COLD AND GHASTLY MOON CASTING THROUGH BARS OF CLOUDS AT A WRECK JUST SINKING. I cannot tell what sentiment haunted the quite solitary churchyard, with its inscribed headstone, its gates, its two trees, its low horizon girdled by a broken wall, and its newly risen crescent attesting to the hour of evening The two ships becalmed on a torpid sea, I believed to be marine phantoms. The fiend pining down the thief's back behind him, I passed over quickly. It was an object of terror. So was the black-horned thing seated aloof on a rock, surveying a distant crowd of surrounding gallows. Each picture told a story, mysterious often to my underdeveloped understanding and imperfect feelings, yet ever profoundly interesting, as interesting as the tales Bessie sometimes narrated on winter evenings, when she chanced to be in a good humour, and, when having brought her ironing-table to the nursery hearth, she allowed us to sit about it, And while she got up, Mrs. Reed's lace frills and crimped her nightcap borders, fed our eager attentions with passages of love and adventure, taken from old fairy-tales and other ballads, or, as at a later period I discovered, from the pages of Pamela and Henry, Earl of Moreland. With Bewick on my knee I was then happy, happy at least in my way. I feared nothing but interruption, and that came too soon. The breakfast-room door was opened. Baw! "'Madam Mope!' cried the voice of John Reed. Then he paused. He found the room apparently empty. "'Where the dickens is she?' he continued. Lizzie, Georgie!' calling to his sisters. "'Joan is not here. Tell Mama she has run out into the rain, bad animal!' "'It is well I drew the curtain,' thought I, and I wished fervently he might not discover my hiding-place. Nor would John Reed have found it out himself.' He was not quick, either a vision or a conception, but Eliza just put her head in at the door and said at once, "'She's at the window-seat, to be sure, Jack!' And out I came immediately, for I trembled at the idea of being dragged forth by the said Jack. "'What do you want?' I asked, with awkward diffidence. "'Say, what do you want, Master Reed?' was the answer. "'I want you to come here.' And seated himself in an armchair, he intimated by a gesture that I was to approach and stand before him. John Reed was a schoolboy of fourteen years old, four years older than I, for I was but ten, large and stout for his age, with a dingy and unwholesome skin, thick lineaments, and a spacious visage, heavy limbs, and large extremities. He gorged himself habitually at table, which made him bilious and gave him a dim, bleared eye, and flabby cheeks. He ought now to have been at school, but his mamma had taken him home for a month or two on account of his delicate health. Mr. Miles, the master, affirmed that he would do very well if he had fewer cakes and sweetmeats sent to him from home. But the mother's heart turned from that opinion so harsh, and inclined rather to more the refined idea that John's sallowness was owing to over-application, and perhaps to pining after home. John had not much affection for his mother and sisters and an antipathy to me. He bullied and punished me, not two or three times in a week, but once or twice a day, but continually every nerve I had feared him, and every morsel of flesh in my bones shrank when he came near. There were moments when I was bewildered by the terror he inspired, because I had no appeal whatever against either his menaces or his inflictions. The servants did not like to offend their young master by taking my part against him, and mrs reed was blind and deaf on the subject she never saw him strike or heard him abuse me though he did both now and then in her very presence more frequently however behind her back habitually obedient to john i came to his chair he spent some three minutes in thrusting out his tongue at me as far as he could without damaging the roots I knew he would soon strike, and while I dreaded the blow, I mused on the disgusting and ugly appearance of him who would presently deal it. I wondered if he read that notion in my face, for, all at once, without speaking, he struck, suddenly and strongly. I tottered, and on regaining my equilibrium, retired back a step or two from his chair. "'That was for your impudence in answering mamma a while since,' he said." "'and for your sneaking way of getting behind curtains, "'and for the look you had in your eyes two minutes since, you rat! "'Accustomed to John Reed's abuse, "'I never had any idea of replying to it. "'My care was how to endure the blow "'which would certainly follow the insult. "'What were you doing behind the curtain?' he asked. "'I was reading. "'Show the book.' "'I returned to the window and fetched it thence. "'You have no business to take our books. "'You are a dependent, Mamma says. "'You have no money. Your father left you none. "'You ought to beg, not to live here with gentlemen's children like us "'and eat the same meals we do, and wear the same clothes at our mamma's expense. "'Now I'll teach you to rummage my bookshelves, for they are mine.' All the house belongs to me, or will do in a few years. Go and stand by the door, out of the way of the mirrors and the windows. I did so, not at first aware of what was his intention. But when I saw him lift, and poise the book, and stand, to enact to hurl it, I instinctively started aside, with a cry of alarm. Not soon enough, however, the volume was flung, it hit me, and I fell, striking my head against the door and cutting it. The cut bled, the pain was sharp. My terror had passed its climax, and other feelings succeeded. "'Wicked, cruel boy!' I said. "'You are like a murderer. "'You are like a slave-driver. "'You are like the Roman emperors.' I had read Goldsmith's History of Rome, and had formed my opinion of Nero and Calgula and etc. Also I had drawn parallels in silence which I never thought thus to have declared aloud. "'What?' what he cried did she say that to me do you hear her eliza and georgina won't i tell mamma but first he ran headlong at me i felt him grasp my hair and my shoulder he had closed with a desperate thing i really saw him a tyrant a murderer i felt a drop or two of blood from my head trickle down my neck and was sensible of somewhat pungent suffering these sensations, for the time, predominated over fear, and I received him in a frantic sort. I don't very well know what I did with my hands, but he called me, "'Rot! Rot!' and bellowed out loud. Aid was near him. Eliza and Georgina had run for Mrs. Reed, who had gone upstairs. She now came upon the scene, followed by Bessie and her maid, Abbot. We were parted, and I heard the words, Dear, dear, what a flurry to fly at Master John! Did anyone ever see such a picture of passion? Then Mrs. Reed subjoined, Take her away to the red room and lock her in there. Four hands were immediately laid upon me, and I was borne upstairs. End of chapter 1